so very thankful to be here at Grace Baptist Church. It has been an amazing weekend, just a few short days, uh, but I am so encouraged by what I have seen. Um, the new building, uh, what a blessing. And uh, we are currently going through a building project ourselves and uh, to see the progress that is being made here uh, and to know that um, uh, you're, you're doing a, a faithful job here in Sydney, Ohio is a great encouragement to me. And uh, I, I know your pastor didn't ask any questions about uh, in Sunday school about uh, what, I, what we did with our building project. And he knows that's because I have no idea what I did for the last three years. Uh, we're about a week away from being finished ourselves. And uh, I understand when I get back, I'll have my office is supposed to be finished. And so very much looking forward to getting moved into my new office and uh, getting back to some kind of normalcy for a little while. Uh, if there is such a thing in the ministry. Amen. And so, Pastor Jim, thank you for having me here today. Your pastor has been a great host uh, to myself and those that I brought with me. Brother Darren Marsh in the back uh, is one of my deacons. He's my best friend and uh, certainly glad that he made the trip with us. Uh, back home in Florida, the, my saying at home is this. When I get ready to start releasing stress, I tell the church I'm going to shoot things in the face. Right? And so uh, we're duck hunters. We like to duck hunt. We left early on our way up here to Ohio and bypassed you and went to Wisconsin for a couple of days and duck hunted. And uh, Brother Darren's son uh, lives up there in Wisconsin, and so we visited with him, and we're, we've made our way back through Ohio. I have my boys uh, with me here today. I have Judson. He goes by Judd, and I think Tucker's here somewhere. All right, Tucker. Make sure you sit still back there, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so uh, Judson and Tucker are with me, and i um, certainly grateful uh, for the opportunity to be able to bring them along with me, spend some time with them. I think that's very important. And uh, appreciate Miss Laura. She's been a great host to us in their home. Uh, she has fed us like kings and uh, helped us uh, to maintain some sanity in what's going on uh, there at the house. And so thank you, Miss Laura. I appreciate that very much. And uh, it's been a great, great blessing. Let's get into the passage today if we could. See if we can learn something from the Scripture. If you would, stand with me for a moment for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, we're going to begin reading in verse, 20, or verse, eight, verse 8. Acts chapter 26 and verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. 
But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee with this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disappointed unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance." For these causes the Jews caught men in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer, and that He should be the first, that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as He thus spake for Himself... Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your help this morning as we have entered the meeting house, collected as a church body, to worship you, to look to your word. We ask that it return with profit and not void. We ask that you help us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. And that you challenge our hearts about where we stand today in light of the cross. We heard the music about the wonder of the cross and how amazing that truly is. And we're going to receive a challenge from your word today about the evidence of the cross and what we're going to do with that evidence. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that your will be done and that you would speak to hearts. I thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. There's a question posed here at the beginning of the passage. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise from the dead? That God should raise the dead? Why should it be a thing incredible with you? It's a great question, isn't it? It's certainly an incredible thing to know that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. To complete the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also know as we read through the passage that there is a great wonder that comes with the cross. Again, heard that sung this morning. Could not have been a better special. Beautiful music. I appreciate that. But it is a great question. Why do we wonder? Why? Look at, look at what he says in verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? We understand it to be incredible because we've experienced it. 
We understand it to be incredible because we have a personal connection with what we have done by faith in calling and trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not incredible to everyone we know. It's not because there is little in the argument that a Christian has today. Paul was left, listen, look what he says in verse 16, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things that you've seen and the things that will appear. Isn't that exactly what we're to do? To be a witness of the things that we have seen and the things we know will appear? That's why we've been left here. It's not different. I want to challenge you as we work our way through this particular passage that it will come down to the requirement of evidence for us. If you're here today and you've not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I would ask the question, why? Is it incredible with you that God can raise the dead? Because it's happened. Christ is the first fruits for us. And so we understand in a very skeptical society that we live in, it's hard to trust anything that we have. It's astounding to me what we will trust. It's astounding to me what we will not trust. We will not trust the very Word of God that tells us Christ exists, but we'll read a history book and believe George Washington existed. It's the same amount of knowledge we have. It's the same amount of evidence we have. You say, well, I, I know George Washington existed because there's lots of evidence that shows that. There's way more evidence that shows Christ existed. Way more evidence. You think about this thing of evidence and witnesses and that we've been left here to be a witness and that it's not always credible to just have one witness. How many of you know in the court of law, they do not allow for just one witness to be enough to corroborate a story, right? So you have multiple witnesses. I think about uh, attorneys and police officers, and if we have both here, you'll just have to decide which side you're on. <laughs> so you have the attorneys who know that they believe that they're smarter than any other human being on the planet, much like your pastor. And then, <laughs> and then you have police officers who are doing man's work, right? And so... <laughs> I know if there's an attorney here, I'm in trouble right now. He's just, he or she has just shut me down. So you have attorneys and you have police officers. And one day the two coincided with each other. There was a, there was a confrontation on the road. And so there was an attorney who was driving and he came up to a stop sign and he didn't quite all the way stop. And the police officer saw that. And so he pulls the, the man over and the attorney's thinking, surely I'm smarter than this police officer. I'm going to figure out a way to get out of this ticket. And so uh, the officer comes to the window and he says, Sir, can I have your driver's license and registration? And the attorney says, uh, quick on his feet, and a, and a good lawyer at, at what he does, he says, Officer, can you tell me what I've done? And the officer says, Sir, driver's license and registration. And he says, I'll tell you what, officer, if it, I'll give you my driver's license and registration if you can tell me why you stopped me. And frustrated, the officer says, Sir, you did not stop at that stop sign back there. You just rolled right through it. That's an offense. I've pulled you over for that reason. 
Quick on his feet, the attorney says, Officer, can you prove to me the difference between stopping and slowing down? Thinking that he has cornered the officer, the officer frustratedly says, Sir, please, can you please step out of the car? So the attorney steps out of the car and the officer pulls out his nightstick and begins to beat the attorney over the back. And he says, Now, sir, would you like me to slow down or stop? <laughs> <laughs> you do not always know which person in the fight is smarter than the other. Amen. And so we, we, can, we have to remove our presupposition about what we know about lawyers and law and attorneys and the court of law and what we see on TV shows and what we believe about a justice system and understand at the very core of what we do, there's this opportunity for witnesses to tell a truth. And so, if I were to ask the question today, if you were to get in trouble and you needed an attorney, how many of you would be, be really comfortable with the thought that your attorney graduated from Harvard? That you had a Harvard Law attorney? That, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? You'd think, man, I, I really like my chances right here. I have an excerpt from the Law Review at Harvard about witnesses. And their account about what they teach in the, in the justice system, about what is necessary, what is required for, for truth to be considered truth by way of witness. I know this doesn't bear the weight that the Scripture does, but if you'll bear with me for just a moment, I want to share this with you. I think it's interesting to what we're going to talk about in this discussion today. So Harvard Law Review says this, The Roman law had adopted the general rule that one witness alone was insufficient upon any point. Now we know that to be true. We know that many a case will take a single witness, but it's not nearly as incredible as more than one, it's not nearly as credible as one witness. It goes on to say in the Harvard Law Review that when their rule declaring one witness insufficient was appealed to, the appeal had behind it the force of, uh, of uh, presumption due to the prestige of a great system, orthodox on the continent and not unequal to its rival in England. Add to this the immense force of an appeal to the law of God, to the Scriptures, sanctioning the rule of the church's law, and protecting the innocent against condemnation by a single witness. This is the Harvard Law Review, quoting Scripture about what's sufficient by way of witness. Another page states this in the Harvard Law Review. It is written also that our Savior... Now, I'm not reading the Bible here. I'm reading the Harvard Law Review says, it is written also that our Savior, speaking of offenses and forgiving one another, among other things, delivers himself thus. If thy brother will not hear thee, then take, thee, take with thee uh, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, if in the mouth of two or three witnesses God will establish every word, why do we look for the truth in dubious cases from the evidence of more than two or three witnesses? No one can lay better or other foundation than our Lord hath already laid. Again, Harvard Law Review. Stating Scripture and being sufficient upon the Lord's position that if anything by two or three establishes truth, why would we have to collaborate more, more witnesses 
to try to bend the truth to our favor. You say, what does that have to do with the passage today? Well, let's look again at the Scripture. Verse 8 started with, Why should it be thought a, a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? You see, what comes down to salvation for us today in the church is whether or not we believe by faith that Christ was raised from the dead. It's the one thing that has the power to save us. So the question becomes, was it true or not? So then you have to ask the question, I wasn't there. I didn't see the cross. I didn't see Calvary. I didn't meet Christ. But is there enough evidence to show me that the resurrection truly happened? The incredible thing of the resurrection. Now, there's many passages that will teach us that even Christ said, I gave word. My Father gave word. This is a word of witness. There are, if you'll bear with me, I understand this is the very words of God. This should be enough. But just for a moment, let's understand that the Word of God is one witness to this account. So then what must happen for the truth to be found truth? We must also give testimony of witness. I'm not saying the Scripture needs us. This is the power of God. But it deserves our testimony. So verse 9 says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so it goes through here and Paul dictates on the pages uh, to or in this book of the book of Acts that he dictates his punishment on the church. What he did to encourage those to blaspheme and to bring exceedingly mad against them and to persecute uh, uh, even them unto strange cities. But then he gets to verse 16. And he says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. A witness of what? Look at verse 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What are we to be a witness unto? We're to be a witness that Christ's power brings forgiveness of sins. Amen. We're to be a witness that we understand because we are forgiven that others may also be forgiven. Delivering thee from the people to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Truth will open eyes. Only when there's credibility behind that witness. Now we're going to talk tonight in the evening service about how we can bring credibility to our witness. How we can make sure that we are not hurting the cause of Christ. But what we're going to do this morning is show that it ought not be incredible with us that there's a claim laid that God has raised someone from the dead because He has. You say, well, I don't know if my testimony... You're thinking, well, I don't know, Adam, if your testimony is enough. I don't know if Pastor Jim's testimony is enough. I don't know that that's, a, that that's the kind of witness I'm looking for. I want you to turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians in chapter 15. A letter written to the, uh, uh, an epistle written to the church. This is a, in reference and context to salvation and to the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand in verse 1 of chapter 15 that it tells us, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. You've, you've heard it, you've received it, you're standing in your salvation and your faith. But look what he says next. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. This is not a stipulation to continue to receive salvation. This is not a, a, a proof text verse to show anything other than uh, 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 eternal security. That We absolutely know once we're saved, we're always saved. What he's telling us in verse 2 is that by which also ye are saved... And understanding that because of your salvation and your position in it, you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless what you believed is in vain. So if we refuse to be a witness of the gospel truth that we know, then everything God has done for us has been in vain. The fact that Christ died on the cross was in vain, if we're unwilling to tell that truth. So verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, Paul says, I'm, I'm my own witness. I'm not asking you to believe in something because I'm saying it. I'm asking you to believe it because I've experienced it. And we're not talking about you know, experiences in church. Those are very common today and you've got to be careful with that. When I use the word experience, what I mean is you have understood the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Much like Paul had. And so he says, for I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures. The first witness. The most powerful witness to what we know the truth to be. And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the what? Scriptures. Again, it will always be our most powerful authority on the truth of the Gospel. Paul said in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. That gospel is defined in verses 2 and 3 by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's no longer on the cross. He is alive today. If He were not, we'd have no hope. Verse 3 says, uh, excuse me, verse 4 says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he hath, or, or excuse me, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And at last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. I don't know about you, but that's pretty simple math. That's better than 500 witnesses that personally saw Christ alive after he was dead. 500 witnesses saw Christ and the truth of what has been recorded for us in the Scriptures. Amen. So I asked you today, the question that was asked 
in our passage in the book of Acts in verse 26, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I don't know how many people after the first 500 witnesses of Christ uh, know about salvation and the truth of the gospel and what it means to be saved. We're talking about probably literally millions of people who have trusted Christ since the cross. But we still find that people struggle with that truth today. That they're unwilling to accept it because they'll blow it off as, well, man wrote this book. God wrote this book. He used men to pen the words. But God wrote this book. We don't need to think, is it, why, why you're thinking, how am I going to wrap my head around a, a resurrected Savior when I've never seen anybody raised from the dead before? And the question is, why does that seem so incredible to you? Because so many people have experienced the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Yeah. Me being one of them. I, we let human... Humanistic thinking persuade us in what we think happens after salvation. And what that means is what we think about our minds will run to what happens after we get saved and that will sometimes keep us from a desire to be saved when we're not worried about what the next step is. We're just worried about what this step is. We're asking you to accept the truth of a resurrected Savior to the glory and salvation of a sinner. And the ability for that to be true, because the power of the Scriptures tells us that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ exists and is a a literal truth so that lives can be changed. How many of you in here have experienced the power of salvation? Amen. Amen. There's some of you in here that have not. And so the question being, why is that incredible to you to think, could, is it possible that God could raise someone from the dead? The answer is yes. And you say, prove it to me. And I say there's been millions of witnesses to that account. And not any different than the history accounts you believe in in every other area of your life. <laughs> you don't have to know John Newton existed to know gravity exists. Right? Those things that go up must come down. That happens. We were at man camp this weekend and the walnuts started falling out of the tree. Guys were scattering like it was bombs, napalm bombs out there. We know gravity will suck things to the ground. We know that. We never had to meet him to know it. It is a truth that has been witnessed over and over and over again. You say, well, and this is the struggle and we'll talk about this tonight. But you say, well, we're not always the best witnesses. So let's go back to the courtroom for a second. In order for a witness to be effective, they should be what? What's the word they use? Credible. Well, that speaks to how we live our lives. Amen. And the problem is, is that we may not all be credible witnesses, so that keeps us from wanting to say anything. And I'm not trying to be haughty up here on this platform because I am the... Uh, I'll say as Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Salvation has never presupposed that once you're saved, you'll be perfect all your life. Paul said we're still in this earthen vessel. 
And when I desire to do good, I find it not. Because my flesh wants to do what my flesh wants to do. Doesn't change my eternal security. Doesn't change my soul destination. Doesn't change that I have a heaven and home because I've placed my faith and trust in a resurrected Savior. I'm not asking you to put your belief in something that you can walk to a grave and find the bones of a false God. I'm asking you to believe in a living God who is raised from the dead for you. The church at Corinth was shown 500, above 500 witnesses that Christ was raised from the dead. Yet we struggle and find it an incredible thing to believe today because we're such a skeptical society. The Bible tells us that in the book of Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, boy, it sure doesn't seem like that's a difficult thing to do. Truth is, is it's not. But in order for you to be able to call on the name of the Lord, you have to be able to believe in your heart by faith that this is the truth. The truth. I haven't given 20 years of my life to preach this book for something that I'm hoping is going to be right when it's done. I've given 20 years of my life to this book to preach something that I know has literally changed who I am and has given me hope for a home in heaven because I serve a risen Savior. Have you trusted Christ today? Today's the day of salvation. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? I don't mean a head knowledge. Listen, I was raised <clears throat> not a Baptist. I was raised in a church that gave me a tremendous amount of head knowledge about God, even that Jesus Christ existed, but I was never told why He existed. And the truth is, God gave His only begotten Son. All of you can quote the verse. He gave His only begotten Son so that we could be saved. Why would we not take the most precious gift offered to every man? You say, how do you know it's offered to me? Because the Bible still says whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, what happens after that? You'll know. You'll know what happens after that. You start learning and you start gaining knowledge and you start reading the scriptures and you start praying and God will help you. You say, what about this? What about that? Stop asking questions. Here's what we do in our home. I don't let my boys ask a lot of questions. They're, they're in a phase where they're asking a ton of questions right now. It's driving me nuts. But what I'm trying to teach them is just trust some things in your life because God wants us to simply trust what He's told us. You understand, I'm not here today giving you information that I have about a resurrected Savior. I'm giving you information about what God has told us He has done with His Son. This is God's truth I'm delivering to you. Amen. Not my truth. God's. Will you accept it? Will you place your faith in Christ so that you can know that heaven is your home? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for the many, many witnesses 
that have accounted for a truth that is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, certainly, that we're all sinners and we're in need of a Savior. That is true. That we must come to a place where we recognize that we have a need. But once we recognize the need, are we willing to be able to... Would we say it's incredible to us that God has done that? That that it's not possible that God could have done that? Or would we say, Yes, Lord, I'll be a whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That I will put my faith and believe in my heart that Christ is raised from the dead and has paid the sin debt for me. I know that He's done that for me. And I know that there is many a witness this morning that raised their hand and said He's also done that for me. And you could be added unto those many witnesses if you'll simply step out by faith. Pastor Jim.